The following activity is brought to you by the American Urological Association. The American Urological Association is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. To learn how to claim CME credits for your participation in this activity, or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auau.auanet.org. Based on the documented need for additional education in prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and renal cell carcinoma, the AUA is launching a series of podcasts, the AUA Expert Exchange Podcast, discussions about managing GU cancer. These activities are designed to increase the clinician's competency in the application of new and emerging treatment options, including their mechanisms of actions and associated side effects. This educational series is supported by independent educational grants from the following companies. Amgen, Astellas, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genomic Health, Merck, Pfizer Incorporated, Sanofi Genzyme, and Eurogen Pharma. Today's topic is the treatment of metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. Hello, and welcome to another AUA Office of Education. Podcast as part of the AUA Expert Exchange podcast series, discussion about managing GU cancer. And today we're going to speak on the topic of metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer. I am Vic Nitty, the chair of the Office of Education. And with me today is Dr. Kelvin Moses, who is Associate Professor of Urology and Director of the Comprehensive prostate cancer clinic at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Dr. Moses received his training in urology at Emory University and did an urologic oncology fellowship at Memorial Sloan Cancer Center in New York City. His clinical practice focuses on the management of metastatic and castrate resistant prostate cancer with a particular emphasis on novel therapies and clinical trials. And before I introduce uh, Dr. Moses to speak, I just want to go over uh, our learning objectives for this podcast. We have two, and they, are, and they are to identify active agents and their mechanism of action in the management of metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer and describe risks and benefits of treatment for metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. And I'll just say that in the past, we have focused a lot on the treatment of castrate-resistant prostate cancer, but Dr. Moses is gonna bring to us some of the latest data on the treatment of metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer, and this is an, an evolving areas, an, an evolving area. So uh, without any further ado, uh, uh, Dr. Moses, Kelvin, uh, welcome to the podcast. Victor, thank you so much. Um, very good to be here and appreciate the AUA putting this together. So, you know, just give us kind of before we jump into to some of the trials that we have data on, just tell us a little bit how the treatment of metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer has evolved in the past uh, in the past few years 
from simply treating it with um, um, hormonal ablation tech, uh, standard hormonal ablation. Sure. It's been a really exciting field really over the last few years. As you said, the foundation of treatment for metastatic hormone sensitive disease, whether it's de novo new metastatic disease or people who have gotten prior therapy is to treat with androgen deprivation therapy, usually monotherapy, but sometimes people will add anti-androgen. And this has been the paradigm for decades. Um, over the years, we've had several agents that have been approved in the metastatic castrate resistant space. And so now investigators are looking at some of these uh, compounds or these therapies and some other newer therapies earlier in the, in the disease spectrum, namely in the metastatic hormone sensitive space. And in, in the last really two or three years, we've had several exciting findings. So let's talk about some of those findings. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about uh, some of the trials uh, that have happened and how these can be uh, integrated in clinical practice? Sure. So one of the first trials that came out in the metastatic hormone sensitive space was a trial called CHARTED. And the CHARTED looked at docetaxel chemotherapy in addition to androgen deprivation therapy versus androgen deprivation alone. So docetaxel has actually been used for many years, even in, in, in metastatic castrate resistant prostate cancer. It's a taxane-based chemotherapeutic agent that's given every three weeks for six cycles. And what the investigators found in 790 patients that were randomized in this trial, the patients who received docetaxel with androgen deprivation or ADT had a median survival of 57.6 months compared to only 44 months for men who got androgen deprivation alone. So that translates to 13.6 months, over a year longer survival in men who received chemotherapy compared uh, chemotherapy with ADT versus ADT alone. And that's a really exciting thing. If you can tell a patient you can add a year, I mean, that's a, that's a very significant increase. Now, subsequently, there have been some subgroup analysis performed and the men who gained the significant benefit from chemotherapy with hormonal therapy are men with high volume disease. And within this trial, these are men who had at least four bone metastases with one of them outside the pelvis or spine or any patient that had bone metastases with visceral metastases. And so, so those men with high volume, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Yeah, so the men with high volume disease, their median survival was 51.2 months versus 34.4 months. So again, you're seeing over a year of improval, uh, improvement in survival compared to ADT alone. So if, if you were going to, in clinical practice, recommend docetaxel with androgen, androgen deprivation therapy, who would be the most appropriate person 
for that line of therapy today? So as with any consideration of therapy, you have to look at their overall performance status. These are men who need to be in good enough shape that they can undergo chemotherapy uh, treatment. Um, high volume disease. So again, multiple bony metastasis or visceral involvement. Um, I also tend to use this in men who are symptomatic. Uh, men with, with symptomatic metastases with chemotherapy uh, seem to get very good response in their pain scores relatively quickly. And so my, my typical man is, you know, in good, reasonable health, maybe symptomatic from disease, high volume disease, rising PSA with, with a, a normal testosterone or uh, responding to androgen deprivation. What, what are some of the side effects of docetaxel? So it's similar to what you would think for chemotherapeutic agents. Most of these men do experience fatigue, hot flashes, and that's par for course with androgen deprivation, but maybe exacerbated some with chemotherapy. One of the major things you do have to watch for are neutropenia. So people with low white counts, susceptible to febrile neutropenia or infected, infectious neutropenia, um, those are things that need to be watched for closely. Other things that these patients may describe are neuropathy, sensory or motor neuropathy, uh, and then risk for anemia. Great. So what else is, what else is out there for uh, men with metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer? So as I mentioned, there have been several new agents that have come out in the last few years in the metastatic castrate resistance base. And uh, among those are oral therapies such as abiraterone, uh, which is given abiraterone acetate, which is given with prednisone. And there was a trial reported this past year called the Latitude Study. You had almost 1,200 men with de novo metastatic prostate cancer and at least two or three high-risk features. So they had visceral disease, a Gleason score of at least eight, or presence of three or more bone lesions. And what they found, again, in these men who took abiraterone with prednisone versus androgen deprivation alone, that an improvement in radiographic progression-free survival and a 38% reduction in risk of death has a ratio of 62%. Uh, and these men uh, tolerate medication quite well. You do have issues with the adrenal suppression that abiraterone does. So you can get mineralocorticoid excess, which can manifest as hypokalemia, hypertension, edema. But this is, again, another exciting uh, new therapy. And again, this is an oral therapy. So if you, patients can take this at home and it's relatively well tolerated. So, as, so, so far we've discussed two, two, two of the trials, um, one using docetaxel and androgen deprivation and the other using uh, abiraterone uh, and prednisone with androgen deprivation therapy. Is there... Is it easy for you to decide 
in a clinical situation of those two choices, and we're going to talk about some more, um, who gets stratified to, to these therapies. So for example, abiraterone and prednisone plus androgen deprivation therapy, who might be the ideal patient for that? So that's a, that's a really great question. And it's not always so cut and dry. One group goes to docetaxel always, one group goes to abiraterone. As I said, I do favor high volume disease or symptomatic disease with docetaxel. And therefore, uh, in the men with lower volume disease, I do tend to use abiraterone. Now, abiraterone was effective in both low and high volume disease, but given the choice uh, for men with low volume disease, minimally symptomatic, um, in our clinic at least, we tend to use abiraterone just for ease of administration with it being an oral medication. And maybe the side effects, while not comparable, maybe more tolerable with the oral medication versus chemotherapy. Great. Okay, what else is out there? So there are some trials that are out there in, in as far as treatment of the primary disease. So there are schools of thought that believe that the, the primary disease, the prostate, is the source of new metastases. And in treating the primary source, can you garner survival benefit even in metastatic disease. So right now there, there's a trial going on with surgical therapy um, that's being headed by the group out of MD Anderson, but no data on that yet. But there are data from the Stampede trial based in the UK, looking at external beam radiation for the primary disease and then with newly diagnosed metastatic prostate cancer. Now in this trial, they, they used volume of, of disease similar to the charted trial. Um, and they had two outcomes that they looked at. One was overall survival. Another was failure-free survival. And the definition of failure-free was anybody who had biochemical failure progression, which was either locally or then lymph nodes or distant metastasis or death from prostate cancer. So in Stampede, the men who got uh, external beam radiation did have improvement in failure-free survival, had a 24% reduction in failure-free survival, and that was in low and high volume disease. However, there was no significant difference in overall survival. So it may be that with longer follow-up, there may be some difference in overall survival, but there is evidence for failure-free survival in terms of PSA progression or uh, locally or distant metastasis. And how about next generation anti-androgens? So those are really exciting as well. There have been several that have been approved either in the non-metastatic castrate resistant space and some within the metastatic castrate resistant space as well. And just within this last year, there have been two trials that were reported in the metastatic hormone sensitive space. So the first one was the Enzymet trial. This was based primarily in Australia and New Zealand. They had over 1,100 patients 
who received enzalutamide, which is one of the second generation antiandrogens with androgen deprivation, or they got standard antiandrogen uh, medication. And that includes the, the old standbys, bicalutamide, flutamide, nilutamide. And again, in, these, in this group, they showed a survival benefit uh, with a decreased risk of death of 33% in favor of enzalutamide compared to androgen deprivation alone with bicalutamide or nilutamide. Now, one thing to note is that there were more adverse events in the treatment group, and namely, those would be hypertension, fatigue, and while a very small percentage, there is risk of seizure, which was known from the original trials with enzalutamide. The second trial that was reported is called TITAN, and this was a, a new uh, antiandrogen called apalutamide. And in this trial, we had over 1,000 men who received apalutamide versus, and androgen deprivation versus ADT alone. And again, there was a 33% reduction in risk of death compared to um, ADT alone. However, in this trial, what they showed is that adverse events were relatively similar to the placebo arm. So there is some indication that apalutamide may be more well-tolerated or let lower risk of adverse events. Obviously, there's no head-to-head -head trial, but that does give some indication of its tolerability uh, in hand-in-hand -hand with this efficacy. You know, as I sit here and, and think about all these trials, do you think it makes sense to even combine these therapies further? So, for example, using um, when we talked about stampede, we talked about um, external beam radiation and androgen, de androgen deprivation therapy. What about um, thing, are the, is anyone looking at something like let's say external beam radiation and more than just androgen deprivation therapy or even combining some of these agents in different ways or um you know chemotherapy plus um um more advanced um uh anti-androgen therapy yeah, that's a that's a great point, and there there have been some efforts in that. And Stampede is actually one of the more effective trials doing that. For those who aren't uh, aware of Stampede, it's what's called a multi-arm, multi-stage platform trial, and so the the investigators are able to add on different arms almost sequentially as, as either new agents come out or in combinations. And one of the arms is going to look at abiraterone with enzalutamide. That data is not out yet. Um, there was, there have been combination trials in metastatic castrate resistant prostate cancer. Uh, I would say one of those that was uh, it was a successful trial, but showed that a combination actually did not work was a combination of radium-223 with abiraterone. And so it actually makes sense to do these combinations because even though we know there's survival benefit and maybe complementary um, pathways that, that are utilized with these medications, we do need to make sure we're not having additive or even synergistic adverse effects. 
And as we look forward to the um, the treatment of metastatic uh, hormone sensitive prostate cancer, are there any genetic markers or predictors of success of any of the therapies? So within all the trials, they're certainly checking biomarkers. There are people who've looked at P53 expression. Uh, they looked at specific mutations within the androgen receptor. Um, I, I'm not sure of anything that's quite panned out yet. One of the biomarker tests that uh, many, many uh, clinicians will use is the ARB7. This is a specific mutation on the androgen receptor that confers resistance. And so in some of these men who you are trying to sequence medication that may have failed another, failed one and you're looking at starting another, then uh, checking for specific mutations may help guide um, your treatment decision-making. Well, thank you, Calvin. I think that uh, uh, one thing we've certainly learned uh, today is that the treatment of prostate cancer, and particularly metastatic prostate cancer, and in this case, hormone-sensitive prostate cancer, is certainly evolving, and newer treatments seem to be giving our patients uh, extended um, uh, years or months to years of life, and hopefully uh, improved quality of life during that time. Um, and from what I'm hearing from you, this is a very uh, fertile area for further uh, investigation. And I suspect that uh, if we were to have this same conversation a few years from now, we'll likely be talking about uh, uh, some more trials and hopefully even some uh, better and more improved ways uh, of treating our patients with, uh, in this case, metastatic uh, hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. Uh, and uh, I'm sure the same can be said for castrate-resistant prostate cancer as those therapies evolve as well. So, I, Calvin, I want to thank you for, uh, for your time today and for giving us a really clear summary of the trials that are available in this area. Um, and uh, certainly it was uh, informative uh, to me, uh, and uh, I'm sure the audience feels the same way. So on behalf of uh, uh, the Office of Education, thank you very much. Thank you very much as well. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak. And as always, I'd also like to thank our audience for listening. And for more information, please visit auanet.org backslash university. Thanks.